Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Gavriel Hakoan. I am here with my BFFIFB cult survivor, Sadie Carpenter. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. I am a little bit exhausted today because I stayed up till like one in the morning reading Fundamental Seduction. That's okay, though. I am getting to the really juicy part. I'm super excited to tell you all about it in the near future yes next week next week is when that episode is coming out um but what are we talking about today so i've talked on the podcast before a good deal about hiles anderson college but last week we finally talked about the other fundy college that i attended on my way out of the ifb that's pensacola christian college perhaps the least terrifying of fundy colleges (laughs) which is a pretty low bar So I've also talked on the podcast a lot about the ACE school curriculum, which is one of two fundy curriculums that was used in my school growing up. So this week, to follow up talking about the other fundy college, we're going to talk about the other fundy curriculum that was used in my school, 
and that's the Abeka curriculum. The Abeka curriculum is made by Pensacola Christian College. It's the same organization that runs the college and makes the curriculum. So it made sense to put these two episodes back to back like this. Yeah, that's going to be super fun. We've got a lot of really wacky stuff that they're teaching in this curriculum coming up in this episode. Very exciting. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my uh, BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. And we talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. It is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, you can go on to patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast and subscribe there where you will find extended and uncensored versions of all of our episodes. I think last week's episode was like the Patreon version was like a half hour longer than the regular version. If you want to join in the discussion with other podcast fans, you can join our Facebook group, which is going to be facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can go to our subreddit, which is going to be reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. And the best thing that you can do to help our show out is to recommend it to your friends, your family, your coworkers, your enemies, post it online, post it in other Facebook groups that you might be in. Um, you know, people asking for a podcast recommendation, maybe throw our hat into the ring. They might like it. Yeah, I, I specifically wanted to thank all of y'all again who have been recommending our show to others. That's the primary way that we grow. And also it makes me feel really good. I don't know about you, Gavi, but uh, I, I have sometimes been scrolling in like Facebook groups that I'm a part of or subreddits that I'm a part of and noticed somebody recommending our podcast. And that is yeah. the coolest feeling. You feel like a celebrity, don't you? I feel like the absolute smallest type of celebrity. <laughs> like the least famous that you can be and yeah. be a celebrity. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to uh, thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. We actually had a fun video chat with all of our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons uh, this past weekend. Uh, and that was uh, Emery Fairlosser, Jessica Tambo, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Ruthie, and Wes. We love you all. We thank you all. And it was so fun to hang out with you guys. Uh, I had a great time on that chat. It was very, it was, it was just like, um, like remember early pandemic when people were doing uh, happy hours with their friends on Zoom? Yeah. It was like that, but a lot, but like less awkward, maybe just because we're all good at Zoom now. It was, it was so chill. I had such a great time just hanging out with everybody. And I, I honestly cannot wait to do it again. Chuck showed up. She made a little appearance um, with her cute self. Chuck showed off her new teeth yeah. and her walking skills. What a hero. What, <laughs> what, she's, she's the future of mankind. Uh, yep. What a hero. So, Sadie. Yes. We got to get into this. Sadie, uh, if I recall correctly, you described ACE as a curriculum that was designed to churn out office workers by training children to be robots who sit in cubicles all day. That is absolutely correct. So from everything that I've heard from you and other ex-fundies that I've talked to, Abeka is 
somewhat better if education um in this in this metaphor i'm going to say education is like ramen okay ace education is going to be a uh, nissin ramen and abeka is going to be maruchan ramen but like none of them are are like the real you know like you go to the ramen restaurant none right. of them are that one right i do like that analogy because you can absolutely survive short term on 17 cent cup of noodles. But you're going to have some major nutritional deficiencies eventually. If that's what you have to eat, you'll feel less hungry in the moment. But then five or 10 years down the line, you're probably going to have scurvy. Scurvy. I have, I have educational <laughs> scurvy. That's what you've got, man. Educational scurvy. That is scurvy. exactly what I have. I have. I have educational scurvy and I've spent the last 10 years um, trying to figure out how to eat oranges and drink gin and tonic with lime so i don't get scurvy educational scurvy is better than having like educational syphilis or (laughs) that's what happens if you do um ati wisdom booklets (laughs) sorry all my ex-ati people you guys all have educational syphilis i'm i'm Um, I'm joking i'm joking we love you (laughs) treat that with 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 mercury i think Right? I think that's the old that school right? way. I think now it's just antibiotics. But I do believe that mercury was like the old school treatment. Is mercury in your pee hole? <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I got to do a agave style reaction noise. <laughs> okay, yeah. Huh. Let, let's move on. <laughs> Can we talk about ramen again? That was a lot less gross. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, but, but you know, the, the analogy, like, it may be decent, but like, you're going to have to add other ingredients right you know like like i mean i'm i'm fine with ramen as a snack okay i'm not knocking the nissen not knocking the maruchan as like a snack but if that's all you're like you're gonna have to add the other ingredients to make it into like a real meal like you're gonna have to add the green onions you're gonna have to add the fish sauce you're gonna have to add the mushrooms maybe crack an egg in there yeah you're gonna have to supplement that a lot or you're going to have deficiencies. I wanted to put this episode back to back with the PCC episode because of the way that I described Pensacola in last week's episode. It's not good, but it's far and away better than Hiles Anderson. Well, similarly, a Becca curriculum is not good, but it's far and away better than ACE. So in our episode, I think the it was called like the Loch Ness Monster is really a dinosaur. It's It's one of the older ones. Uh, from like last year, you said that your early education was mostly ACE, but then at some point it switched over to a Becca. Right. So when when was that? When when was the changeover point? So I have to give you some background information to answer that question. Surprise, right? <laughs> yeah. So because of ACE, no. you're not confined to traditional grade levels. In ACE, you're supposed to finish. 12 paces in the year because ACE is way too easy for a kid like me whose strengths were reading comprehension and memorization. I would get done with my 12 paces for the year sometime between like December and March of the school year. So what was the school supposed to do? Just let me sit at my desk and read the censored encyclopedia for three months? No, they just gave me the next pace down the line. So by the time I got to 12 or 13 years old, I was a grade ahead or more than a grade ahead in some subjects. This is interesting to me because so when I was younger, I used to do when I was in high school, I would sing in high school choir. And then like if you're one of the good kids in choir, then you're um, 
choir teacher would recommend you to do one of these honor choirs. It would be like a, a state or or like a, a northwest, uh, a, like a regional honor choir or something like that. So you'd go there with like a bunch of kids from all different schools. And you would meet kids from different backgrounds there. And a lot of them would be like fairly Christian. So like sometimes you would meet kids who are like super Christian and they'll say like, oh, I skipped three grades. And me being in like high school, like and having no cultural context for this, I would think, oh, wow, this kid must be a prodigy or a genius. But then you actually like interact with them for a bit and you think, oh, there's something going on. There are some serious gaps in this kid's knowledge. How is this kid like three years ahead? Yeah. So what what happened wasn't that the kid tested like tested so well that they completely skipped over grades. What happened is they worked through grades early, like they did all of the coursework for two grades in one year. And a lot of that is is because there are gaps or deficiencies in whatever curriculum they were using. Also, all kids have educational strengths and weaknesses, and that's not there's there's no like value judgment aspect to that. Some people are visual learners, some are auditory learners, some are kinesthetic learners, like all that stuff. If your education is reading and answering questions and you happen to be, like me, a really strong reader, excellent reading comprehension, and the ability to memorize what you read really easily, you may not be a super genius, but you can skip grades really easily in this type of curriculum. I just happen to be really good at reading. Before I had my concussion that I had at Hiles Anderson, I was also one of those weird people who could read something like three times and then quote it back. So I was a pretty bright kid, but I wasn't like a crazy super prodigy. I was just a really strong reader and I was bored with early ACE curriculum. So I wanted to get through it as quickly as I could. So I guess it wouldn't be right for me to ask you what grade were you in when you switched over? It would be more appropriate to ask you like how old were you when the switchover happened? Right. So to make it more confusing though, there, there's extra layers to this. Mm, there's always extra layers. I'm sorry, you it's asked me one question and this is now like a 12 minute answer. <laughs> So when I was like, so talk, let's think about when I was 12. So by age, I should have been in sixth grade. So I still sat. I had to sit at the sixth grade lunch table. I had to wear the, the elementary uniform, not the high school uniform. I still had to go to recess with the elementary students, which I hated um, because they wouldn't like let me sit and read a book at recess. Sucked. But all of my friends, like my three best friends, were in the seventh grade. So they got to wear the high school uniform and they didn't have to go to recess and sit at the high school lunch table. So this was this was annoying to begin with. But to make it more annoying, my pace numbers were higher than their pace numbers because I was like a grade or grade and a half ahead. So in the in the paces, I was in seventh grade or the beginning of eighth grade. But because I was younger, I still had to participate in all the elementary stuff. All of that to say, I know we switched to Abeka when I was in ninth grade, but I don't remember if it was when I was in ninth grade by age, so like 14 going on 15, or when I was in ninth grade by paces, which would have been 13 going on 14. Did switching to, like, this is all just like very jumbled up. Did switching curriculums like straighten this whole thing out? It sort of did, although I had to halfway retake some classes. So, so as a hypothetical example, because I don't feel like looking up my records to actually tell you exactly what it was. So let's say that I was a grade and a half ahead in English coming into ninth grade. 
I was already so 18 paces ahead. When they started doing a Becca curriculum, I could start in a Becca ninth grade curriculum, but that meant that those last six paces of ninth grade English that I had done didn't count. Poof, gone. Have to start over at the beginning of ninth grade. Oh. So a lot of work that I had done just kind of didn't get completely counted. And they were trying, they were just trying to standardize it. And my parents really did not want me to graduate high school early, which in retrospect, they were probably right. Because as I described last week, I was not ready to face the world in any capacity, (laughs) but I was on track to graduate at, at right after I turned 17. And I was so mad that I wasn't going to get to. But that's a, that's a whole other that's like a whole other topic. So, my school did a slow switch to a Becca over the course of a school year. So, during that year, I had some classes in Paces and some in a Becca. So, I know I had English in a Becca. I know I had science and possibly history in ACE, but I'm not sure about history. I know I took biology in ACE, but I think it was the year that we switched over. The only available science teacher who had zero qualifications to teach science, by the way, was teaching chemistry Mm -hmm. that year. And I had to do biology that year. So I was still in paces for biology during the first year of the switchover. I'm I'm having trouble remembering if I ever took chemistry. I'm sure I did. I know I had to. I just, I can't remember if it was an ACE or a Becca. The only thing I really remember is learning how to balance chemical equations. Yeah, so one of the characteristics that I remember about ACE that you told me was that you don't actually have teachers, you just have monitors. Right. Did this change? So oh. you mentioned that you have like a science, that there's an actual science teacher qualified or not, that's yes. beside the point. So ACE is a homeschool curriculum that can be used in a school setting. A Becca is a school curriculum that can be used in a homeschool setting. A Becca is really meant to be taught in Christian schools in a traditional classroom setting, like with a teacher standing up in front of you and students referencing their textbook and taking notes. A Becca does sell plans to help parents use the curriculum in homeschool, and they also sell video lessons for parents who want to do the ACE thing and set it and forget it so they can homeschool without doing as much work. So I should back up and give a quick catch up just in case people haven't heard our ACE episode. How ACE works is you get a booklet. It's the size of a like a magazine. Inside, there are pages of information and then pages of questions. So if it's a history book, you'll get like two or three pages about history and then two or three pages of fill in the blank or multiple choice or matching questions about what you just read. And then two or three more pages of Uh, paragraphs about history and then two or three more pages of questions. So you read the pages, you answer the questions, and then you have a little tiny American flag, like a three by five size American flag in your desk. So you're in like little cubicles. You put the flag up in a hole in the wall of your cubicle and you wait for a classroom monitor to come by. And whenever they come by two minutes or 20 minutes or two hours later, you ask permission to check your work. Then when they give you permission, you go to a cabinet, you find the answer key for whatever pace you're on, and you grade your own work with a red pen. Then you go back to your desk, you fix any mistakes that you made, and then you put the flag up for permission to check your work again. Then two minutes or 20 minutes or two hours later, when the monitor comes by again, they give you permission to recheck and you repeat that process until you get all the answers correct. And then when you have it all correct, you have to work through a certain number of pages a day in each subject. You work all the way through these 
workbooks, these paces, you take a test at the end and then you move on to the next workbook. So it's a lot of waiting. It's highly frustrating. Uh, And that's how ACE school works. It's 100% student directed. It sounds absolutely terrible. Just (laughs) it's 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 rough. So Becca, on the other hand, is set up to be taught in a traditional classroom environment, which was wild to me. Because as a young teenager, I sat in a classroom with a teacher who stood up and taught things for the first time in my life. (laughs) I had a textbook for the first time. I had to take notes. I had regular tests and quizzes. Like it was it was a really big change (laughs) to go from ACE to that. Wow. So when my school was transitioning over, I also did two both of these curriculums kind of concurrently. So I might have had English in the Abeka program, first period, and then I didn't have another class class for two periods. So I would go over to the ACE room on the other side of the building to do my paces for science and history or whatever else I was still in paces for. And then fourth period, I would go back to the other side of the building for my next Abeka class. I had to kind of juggle like that during that transition year. So Abeka... Like as so, you said uh, it's produced by Pensacola Christian College. Uh, we talked about last week, which has an education program. So it makes sense that they would be like making this curriculum and then training teachers from their education program to use a Becca curriculum in the classes that they're going to have. I think the way I phrased something may have caused you to put the cart before the horse there. So Arlen and Becca Horton moved to Pensacola, Florida, in the 1950s to start a Christian school. So the Hortons had moved to Pensacola, Florida. They had started this Christian school there, but they were not satisfied with the curriculum options that they had. So they decided to write their own curriculum. Then years later, they started a Christian college. And part of why they did that was to train teachers to use their curriculum and then go out and use it in more Christian schools. So I said that Abeka is produced by Pensacola Christian College, but I think I should have said Pensacola Christian College is produced by a Becca book. Okay, so it's basically just vertical integration, but make it education and make it Christian. Yeah, you you had the right concept, it, um, just out of order a little bit. So I want to talk about the educational philosophy behind a Becca, because I think this is pretty interesting. So how is it different from ACE? Well, a Becca has an educational philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big thing for starters, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So Arlen and Becca Horton were both educators. They, they got their degrees from Bob Jones University. So still a very fundy college, but at least it's not Hiles Anderson. <laughs> they were inspired by early American education. And in Abeka materials, you'll find a lot of references to one-room schoolhouses. They felt like modern education is too experimental. So when they saw in the larger world of of secular education, people proposing theories about education, they thought, Arlen and Becca Horton thought, you can't experiment with children's education. This is too important. We shouldn't be trying to make progress if it is any risk at all. Instead, we should be going back in time to what has always worked to the foundational uh, aspects of American education. 
What does that even mean? Like, so it's reactionary, but not just in subject matter, reactionary in like methodology. Yeah, it's it's reactionary towards modern secular educational philosophy. Uh, like, of course, I don't I don't agree with these the conclusions of what they came up with, but the sentiment of this is too important. It's not good to be experimental when there's something very important on the line. I see that sentiment sentiment in areas outside of Christian education. I don't believe that. I think there's a logic flaw there because I I think it's a risk reward assessment. I think that progress and experimentation are extremely important. And thinking of my own kids' education that will be starting in a few years, I see new philosophies of learning as something that I hope she's exposed to. I I think that provided that the most educated people and the wisest people are proposing experiments and proposing new philosophies, I think the reward the potential reward of her learning things in a new way that's extremely beneficial to her outweighs the risk of what if this new philosophy doesn't work well. But what the Hortons are saying is the opposite. Mm. The risk of what if this new philosophy doesn't work well is bigger than the reward of what if it works really, really well. So it's not there's it's just a different way of looking at this risk reward equation. I do have a point. I have a few points of agreement with the Abeka philosophy. But that's my that's my main um, point of disagreement. I, but they're just saying they're speaking like very generally in platitudes there. They're like the experimentation is is wrong. Like what specifically are they talking about when they are describing education as experimental? Like there, are there specific techniques that they are or is it just like educational experimentation as like a boogeyman? Like I get that they really like this whole one room schoolhouse idea, but with today's class sizes, right? Like that that just isn't feasible, you know. Or like if you go to school, like how many kids are are in your are in your school? You can't have them all in one class, or you wouldn't want. Like it wouldn't make any sense to break them all up and just put a bunch of kids of different ages in the same class when you could put all the kids of the same age in the same class and teach them the same thing like that. I don't know that like it just doesn't make any it isn't feasible to expect a teacher to do 12th grade math class and English and history or like, you know, doing 12th grade math and like fourth grade history at this like kids are obviously better served uh, learning their subject from a specialist. Right. Right. I can tell you about some of what they particularly see as experimental. One thing would be phonics versus sight reading or shape spelling. This is weirdly one of the things that I really agree with from their philosophy. It's one of the few things that has really stuck with me. So some schools teach children to recognize common words by the shape of the word rather than by the rules of English pronunciation. So they say this is the word dog. Dog has a tall letter at the start, then a round letter in the middle, then a long letter in on the end. And they just want the kid to recognize that word by its shape wherever they see it, rather than sounding out dog. dog. Is this familiar to you? Is this how they taught you to read? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They they taught you to sound it out? Yeah. Like, what? Where are they teaching this? Is this like a new thing or is this yeah, like this a... Is a new this is a new-ish thing. It was just barely coming into play like around the time that we would have been in elementary or kindergarten. It's it's not something that everybody does. It is a way that some schools teach children. 
The issue with it is that the word dog and the word bog have very similar shapes. So if you teach a kid to learn to read that way, um, it, the idea is that you teach them to rec recognize common words so they can just almost skip over those words when they read them because I know that word. The reason it doesn't work is because words can have very similar shapes and uh, that can cause mistakes. And also because um, you can't read an unfamiliar, you can't read and pronounce an unfamiliar word without the phonics knowledge of like, this is how English usually works and this is how letters usually make sounds together. I think that phonics is a much better way to teach kids to read. It's one of like, uh, fundies are insane for phonics. They they love phonics almost as much as they love Jesus. Wow, the, they really? They have like a phonics persecution complex. What, it is what, really something. Is this um, really like what they think? I like I've never they, heard of but this. They make but they make it like a persecution thing as well, which is fun. But this mm -hmm. is this is one of like the few things that I've held on to though. Um if Chuck happened to go to a school that was trying to teach her the sight uh, sight reading or um reading by the shapes of the words, I would just teach her phonics at home. It's not it's not the the end of the world, but I would want her to have that supplement. So here's here's a question. When you are because re learning to read and learning to spell are two different things, right? You have a kid, you know, who's in like first or second grade and they can sort of basically read, but they don't quite know how, like they don't know how to spell everything yet or they're misspelling all of their words. So how are they teaching you to spell things? Because I remember like the whole thing when I was a kid was guess and to go spelling is what it was called where it was basically like you d like you don't have to like if you want to know a word you don't have to like know how to spell it you just like basically sound it out like with the letters hmm. that you know so a becca curriculum just just teaches you to memorize it they just have they encourage 20 minutes of spelling and grammar drills every morning so they just oh. have students so you just so you just stand together as a class and everybody goes vacuum noun V-A-C-U-U-M, vacuum, vacuum, V-A-C-U-U-M, vacuum. That sounds terrible. It is, it is, because they will, what? you'll have like a 10 word spelling list and they'll make everybody stand and read through the entire spelling. You say the word, you say, spell, say. So you say the word, you spell it out, you say the word, and you have to do that like five times per word for your entire spelling list. And then you have to do um, your Bible verse if you have a Bible verse for that class. And then you have to do your poem. Like if you're in English class, you have to do whatever poetry you're currently working on memorizing. I just, that that's so nuts. I don't even. Abeka's traditional Why? education. That's what that means to them. Because that's how they taught children to spell in traditional American education, whatever that is. <laughs> you can know a bunch of sh but that doesn't make you smart. Well, it doesn't make you smart. None of this is intended to teach critical thinking because they didn't teach critical thinking in early American education. They taught you to memorize things. <sighs> okay, well, yikes, man. Mm. So none, none of this is intended to teach you to think or teach you how to think. This is, to, this is intended to fill your brain with knowledge like a filing cabinet. Okay, that, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, and there, th this is an educational philosophy that I have read about, but not enough to retain the terms for. Uh, obviously, you didn't read about it uh, in Abeka, or you would have memorized literally everything about it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> our, our, I think our educators in the audience will know what I'm talking about. There's a there's a philosophy of education that, that involves children's brains are like an empty box, and you have to put things in them. Like that's an old school 
philosophy of education. And that's the philosophy that Abeka is built on. Like your kid's brain is empty and it is your job as a teacher to fill it and fill it with the information that they need to memorize and organize the information inside their brain in a way that they can access it in the future. Mostly, again, by extreme rote memorization. And then there are other educational philosophies that are like, oh no, your kid's brain is full of things and you just have to organize it. Or your kid's brain is empty, but they need to choose what to put in it. But Abeka is going with that super old school thing. So another thing other than phonics that they might be talking about is new math. Oh, yeah. So is that like with the squares? Yeah, that's like the when, math you, with the squares? when you do multiplication, instead of doing it in columns, like the way that anybody over 30 was probably taught. Um, you, so okay, that's so how if you're I gonna, was taught. Yeah. So if you're going to multiply like 32 by 26, you put them on top of each other and then you do like rows and columns and you add a zero every time you go down to a new row and then you get this big number and you add it all up. And if there's a decimal point, you have to know where to put the decimal point, that kind of thing. In new math, you do like four squares and you do 30 times 20 in one square and then you do two times 20 and then 30 times six and then two times six and then you add the results of the squares together to get 832. So the Abeka educational philosophy would be super not about you skipping those steps and super not about the new math with the boxes because in their philosophy, if this is the way that it's always been done, then this is the way that you should always just do it. It's it's basically don't fix what they don't perceive to be broken. That's I mean, sure, but like, why are they like so against somebody doing it a different way, even if it gets you the same answer and if it works just as well? Because basically, um, if you do it a new experimental way, there's a slight chance that you might f*** up one child's education. And in the world of Abeka, a child's education is the most important thing in the entire world. I think you'll start to understand why, maybe, when we talk about the contents of their science and history books. Oh, okay. So that's... Okay. Yeah. I think this is going to make more sense when we get into some books a little bit later in this episode. Yeah, because that's the... Like, if it's with math... Math is the same if you're fundy or if you're not fundy, except instead of asking you to uh, multiply uh, loaves, the number of loaves by the number of fishes. Yeah, they're they're like, how many uh, Jesus had X number of fish and he multiplied them by this. How many number of fish did it take for Jesus to feed the people? It would be like Martha has 200 watermelons in her truck like that. (laughs) That's the only dip. But like the math is the same. Right. So why is it so important to Pensacola Christian College and Abeka curriculum that the math be done the old school traditional way? Well, we're we're going to get into that. But before we start going down that direction, I do have a quote that I want to read from an article on the Abeka website. It's an article about their educational philosophy. So the article is called Philosophy, Research, Basis, and Development of Abeka Educational Materials. And it's by Dr. Troy Shoemaker, who was the college president when I was at Pensacola. But he came up through the Abeka, like he worked his way up through the company in the Abeka system. So here's the quote from that article. Early American educators employed methods that have been proven to work and that have become the tradition of excellence in education. Traditional educators understood the nature of the child and most often looked to the Bible as the source of truth. The resulting pedagogy included an emphasis on instruction and review, adherence to a well-planned curriculum, 
direction and instruction by an authoritative teacher, a well-structured learning environment, individual accountability, and the inclusion of character training. Abeka textbooks and materials incorporate the same proven traditional approach to teaching and learning. This is different from what has crept into much of American education since the middle of the last century. The philosophy has been promoted as an innovative approach to teaching and learning called progressive education. Based on not based upon naturalistic and relativistic thinking, most of the popular education ideas today are built on progressive notions with a focus on humanistic views of a child's nature. The resulting paradigm is characterized by an emphasis on experience, attention to student needs and desires, facilitation by teachers, a natural parentheses permissive in parentheses environment, collaborative learning, and the clarification of values emphasizing tolerance. While progressive methods constantly change as new theories become popular, Abeka has continued to implement traditional methodology in materials. So I have two things that I want to say about that. Number one, commitment to excellence is also the motto of the Raiders, uh, the the football team, the Raiders, which, yeah. I didn't even know football teams had mottos. Yeah, they have mottos. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And the Raiders, uh, a motto is the uh, commitment to excellence. So I just wanted to say that. And I'm extremely happy that we made it to the playoffs this year in uh, astounding and dramatic fashion. But second, uh, the the quote that you just read was a bit of a word salad. I like having listened to you say that what like that paragraph, that two paragraphs of words, I still don't understand what it is specifically where they're getting like evidence that uh, traditional methods produce better results than quote unquote modern ones or specifically what traditional methods they're referring to and which modern ones they're so against. It's just like traditional good, modern bad. There's a study that's cited in that article uh, that tells you what methods they're specifically promoting as traditional. Those methods are strong classroom management call and response, classroom engagement, like reading out a paragraph out loud as a class or spelling out spelling words as a chant with the class, like I talked about earlier, phonics, high academic expectations, and and, and expecting conformity from the students. Like you conform to the school, we don't conform to you. So basically, this is just a big backhanded dig at touchy-feely educational philosophy. And Mm. honestly, Gabi, I don't even know if this is real or not, but what I grew up hearing about in public schools was... Uh, say a student didn't want to do the lesson for the day, then the teacher would be like, oh, little Johnny is learning about his sense of self and practicing self-determinism. He can go play with blocks while the rest of us learn our ABCs. Like modern education was was portrayed like that, like very like do what you feel and extremely humanistic, which as you can imagine, rubs the fundies the wrong way because they are all about like if you feel it, it's probably sinful. Like you belong to God. You do not belong to yourself. And a huge cornerstone of modern fundamentalism is the rejection of modernism and humanism. And they believe that public schools and like modern education is 100% humanistic. Sadie, if I had told the teacher that I didn't want to do the lesson today, then I would have immediately been sent to the principal's office. Okay, so that's not even real. I I figured that was probably not real. Of course that is. You know how ridiculous, like, unless you're sending your kid to some like granola ass charter school in LA or San Francisco, and you're like the type of people that's paying $50 for a kale salad <laughs> at like whole, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you name your kids something like Aspen or tree corn or something. Like, you, you name your kid. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like people who name their kids after plants. Yeah. Yeah. Like sage. Although sage, sage. is a nice name. 
Sage is a real person's name. Like you can. You that can is like a, an actual name. Like that. That's the only people who send their kids to schools like that. If you send your kid to a school like that, like that's you get made fun of by the normies like <laughs> me. You know that like. But that's what fundies think that all modern education is. Like, children are not made to or forced to do anything. There's no discipline. And, of course, we all know that the only, like, when fundies say discipline, they mean hitting. They don't understand that there is discipline without physical pain and corporal punishment. So is this, like, is this all coming together for you? Because it's really, like, starting to come together into a very clear picture for me. Yes, It's like, if we cannot hit our children then we're just going to make our own school. I'll tell you this, man. When I was in high school, my freshman English teacher was an ex-Marine. And if I mouthed off, he would pull me outside into the hallway and yell at me and then email my parents. He was a great teacher, mind you. Like, I, w- like, I would like to know yeah. um, how often did this happen and was it effective? Uh, Probably just like, I don't know, once or twice a semester, maybe. Nothing that, I mean, I was normally a good kid, but I was 14 and 15 so like i was a fucking idiot see yeah like, dumb shit. in like, funny world the yeah. there's no excuse for you being 14 or 15 right they already got you uh uh, uh not engaged uh but in, in courtship with somebody yeah betrothed to somebody i mean if you're a funny girl at 14 or 15 you could very well have like be responsible for like five children um yeah, like in Fundy World, there's no there's no excuse for you being like 14 or 15. It's like you're showing your sinful nature and you need to get it together. But these the the Fundy perception of these modern, like touchy feely, wimpy, humanistic public schools are they're not really teaching children anything because they have no discipline. So they don't force children to learn spelling words. They don't force children to learn grammar. They don't force children to do anything. And that's why so many kids are becoming gay. <laughs> sorry i I know that's super fundy but that is that is what they think so it's everything that the fundies hate in one place it's evolution it's sex ed it's acceptance of lgbt people it's the concept that your body and your mind belong to you it's not having the bible all mixed into every text of every like every page of every, every textbook and it's also at the very bottom of the long list it's also like the actual educational philosophies that the fundies don't like, like new math, phonics, rote memorization, teaching critical thinking skills, that kind of thing. Well, teaching critical thinking skills, I think, is evident because if these fundies had any like critical thing, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. So I know that we've got some teachers in our audience. They'll probably back me up on this. Also, I apologize to all of the teachers in the audience because you're about to hear me say some stuff that like I would have been your nightmare. You know, if you're a teacher... And some kid is mouthing off and being disruptive. You can't just be touchy feely with them and let them do that or do what they want. Or like everybody's going to do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If the kids collectively decide in class one day that they don't want to do their classwork, they don't want to learn. They just want to riot. It's going to be bad. And this happens. Like I've been in classes where everyone's just decided like it's just open rebellion you can't give them like a stuffed feelings flamingo or whatever and you know and and, like say oh here you have the feelings flamingo you can express yourself like no you ever have a substitute teacher and the class just decides oh it's a substitute teacher let's ruin their day no i never i didn't have i didn't have like rebellions in classrooms in my school for christian school reasons we also didn't have subs 
because Christian school reasons. So if like if it was ACE and our teacher was sick, then somebody else from the church would just randomly come sit at their desk and we would all do the same thing we always did, which was sit quietly in our desks and do our work. If it was after we switched over to Abeka, if the teacher was sick, we just had to sit quietly <laughs> during that hour when the For, teacher wasn't like, there. Not do anything? Not talk? Well, it would any, be like, like a study hall. But no, we weren't allowed to talk. We were very rarely allowed to talk in school at all. That's an, a whole nother thing. But like, it, <laughs> Sorry, I did it again. <laughs> so like, if, if you have a sub though, like A of all, they can't punish everybody. You know, if everybody's acting out, then you can play it cool and just do the shaggy defense. You know, you can just say it wasn't me or sometimes like, you, and some, you know, there's just blood in the water some days. You just know there's blood in the water and everybody is going to fucking do something. And if there's a substitute, yeah, I mean, what do you do? You give them a fake name or you swap names with your friend during roll call. And I mean, there's just tons of classic uh, classic pranks that you can do. Like, you know, make loud fart noises with your mouth every time the sub walks by. Mm -hmm. Or if you're too cool for that, you can just like slip out of class while their back is turned and hope they don't notice or just start eating snacks during class. You, like they tell you to put them away. You can just be like, the teacher usually lets us eat snacks and like this one time i think i was in like fourth or fifth grade somebody figured out that if you say you're diabetic or hypoglycemic then and there's a substitute then they like have to let you eat and then suddenly everybody says i'm diabetic or i'm hypoglycemic <laughs> so so fun fact um i did have an issue in high school where either i don't know if it was my blood sugar or if something else was causing me to get dizzy or sometimes um pass out in class <laughs> you know what they did though what they told me to deal with it and quit faking they didn't tell you to pray no. more <laughs> they weren't even like being fake spiritual about it <laughs> that's terrible i mean but like that's also the response that we tried that we got when we tried to sometimes you get a sub and the sub like knows you know and you know from like sometimes the sub comes in you know from jump they're gonna be like you're gonna be testing each other's limits it's a war game and sometimes they're like on onto you from the beginning and you're just like okay you like fire the opening salvo and then they like shoot it right back at you and you're like okay this one's not to be with but like it, that's like do they really think that like this touchy feely school thing like works or, or, or like that. I mean, not that it works, but like that they that schools would actually be trying this to putting this into place. Yeah, like it would be utter chaos. Who would want to be a teacher in that system? Absolute chaos. That's what they think schools are like. What? And, and they also, um, I mean, as far as the makers of Rebecca, they also think that if you put some Bible verses in your career, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I meant to say look to the Bible as a source of truth, that that will never happen in your classroom. See, we had to learn about different religions. See, this this is the thing that I don't get. F fundies aren't like reactionaries. They're all freaking out about activists teaching in the classroom, you know, pushing liberalism. But maybe you ask the average adult what they learned in fifth grade social studies. They're not going to remember that. I, like maybe like they'll remember 20% of it. Kids aren't paying enough attention to be indoctrinated by like any of this stuff. So maybe like the touchy feely stuff works if you're raised by like rich hippies and you go to like crunchy alternative private school or crunchy alternative charter school. But if you try this shit in like a regular public school, you're going to have a bad time. Kids are not going to respect you. They're going to walk all over you and you will go home just like needing a bath bomb and a whole bottle of rosé. 
I mean, I think this probably works really well for preschool. Like, I mean, I follow Big Little Feelings Instagram account, and I also follow Ms. Frazzled on TikTok. Like, I know about this stuff. I know about, like, how people do in preschool now. I would want Chuck to have that kind of validation and very, like, feelings-oriented stuff for preschool. I mean, maybe even kindergarten. But you wouldn't uh, just do blanket training and just expect her to... No. Yeah, Chuck is Chuck yeah. is one hundred percent not blanket trained, good. which is good for both of us because one that's abuse that I wouldn't want to visit on my child, but also because that kid is extremely stubborn, and I, I think it would be almost as bad for me as it would be for her. She'd fight back, man. <laughs> she'd she'd pull even uh, more of your hair out. This morning, she sat on my head and then bounced up and down on it. She's not a baby that you want to not a baby that you want to try to get in the way of what she wants to do. No, oh. Still kind of have a headache. But you can see how how threatening this whole concept is for the fundies, right? Yeah. Like, all of this goes against everything they believe, and it threatens their more religious views, like being homophobic and being anti-abortion. So, But they have to... They choose for some reason to couch their objections in educational philosophy. So is it like... Is it, do they see it that way? Do they really perceive that their educational philosophy is the big problem and the religious stuff is secondary? Or do they just think it looks better if they phrase it that way? See, I think it's really endemic to their overarching worldview. Because I, I definitely see what you're saying. Because like at the heart of, uh, if at the heart of their philosophy is one overarching authority that tells you who you are and what your place in the world is, and then you have somebody who's out here saying, you can be whatever you want to be, that is just immediately going to be bait for scorn and ridicule. It's, you know, it's the same exact thing. You know how all these mouth breathers are making their f***ing, I identify as an attack helicopter. You know that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that means. I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of exactly it. I do want you to think back to last week about some of the PCC rules, like not walking on the grass and expecting students to be very orderly, not having yelling or shouting amen or anything like that in chapel services, making students go to fine arts and dramatic productions so they get cultured, everything being very polished and classy and serene. Does all of that make more sense? Now, with like the romanticized, idealized version of traditional education, like you remember how uh, Doug Phillips was all about like the Titanic and chivalry. It's that same thing. Mm. But for education, it's meant to present this vision of quiet, orderly rows of little students in their school uniforms with combed hair and bright, shining faces reciting off the state capitals. Yeah, but as we discussed in our Watch Night episode, you don't know all the state capitals. <laughs> that's because I went to ACE Elementary School. Well, that's a Becca for man. Maybe a Becca would have been better. I mean, it oh, doesn't was, matter. Oh, a Becca yeah. would have been better. I <laughs> I have a list of problems with a Becca curriculum. I would never ever use it for my own kid, um, except for maybe the English as a the English curriculum as a supplement in certain situations. Um, I would never ever expose my child to their science or history curriculum. But I absolutely wish I had started with a Becca instead of ACE as a child. Hmm. Like as much as I dislike almost everything about a Becca, it's still miles better than ACE. Well, it doesn't matter if you know how to do your taxes, but you better be able to know that Bismarck is the capital of North Dakota. <laughs> So what I, I guess what I'm trying to get to with this whole thing, though, is that Hiles Anderson has a brand 
It's like, we're an army. There's yelling. There's hard work. It's supposed to be difficult. If it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. PCC also has a brand. But the brand of PCC as a college is really, really informed by the Abeka brand. And the Abeka brand is making people think that they're getting a world-class Christian education. Yeah, the picture I've got in my head, you you know the Anne of Green Gables sequel where she becomes a school teacher? Absolutely, I do. That's what I've got pictured in my head. And that's a pretty accurate mental picture. The, the one that came to mind for me is there's a later uh, Little House on the Prairie sequel where Laura becomes a teacher and she has students do a whole program and it's like a huge success. Abeka actually has a museum on campus that's meant to memorialize one-room schoolhouses. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, P- Pensacola. It's the same campus. So I want to kind of do a recap of Abeka, like how the company has grown, that kind of thing. Okay, let's do it. So the official version of the Abeka story is that the Hortons couldn't find good Christian curriculum for the school that they started in Pensacola. So they started printing their own curriculum. I remember learning this at some point in college, but I can't find my notes According to the company website, other educators saw their materials and were like, wow, your curriculum is great. Will you please sell me some? Of course, I strongly suspect that the reality is that they started going around shilling books. But in typical Abeka fashion, they've managed to keep their official story the first few pages of Google results. So if you Google it, you don't find any, you know, sneaky unofficial stories. Yeah, you remember when we were writing First Family of Fundamentalism, like the Jack Hiles, like part one? Yeah. Like the the only version of events that you had in your head about like how he got his start was the official version from the Hiles camp, especially in like the, you remember the it's me or the bus kids situation mm-hmm. where he was like, I had, I chose these kids salvation over the deacons objections who felt that the kids would ruin the church. And you know, like right. whatever, he's just going to tell whatever version of the story makes him look good. Right. But the difference is that PCC and Abeka care about their reputation Maybe more than Hiles Anderson does, because at Hiles Anderson, negative information is almost a any press is good press situation because it can be spun as persecution or satanic attacks. But PCC actually knows about SEO and they are a lot more suave, a lot more savvy. So instead of if if some bad information comes out about them, they're more likely to try to bury it than to just pass it off as, oh, it's persecution. Oh, it's the devil. The official version of the PCC story doesn't seem particularly far-fetched. Because I'm sure that if you had a Christian college and you were making educational materials for grade schools, people would want to buy your educational materials. That that only stands to reason. Yeah, I'm not attempting to accuse them of lying. I'm attempting to point out that they are very good at presenting the truth in the most flattering possible way. Yeah, see, that's just valuable PR skills. You don't like you don't lie. You just put a positive spin on it. Just like how in the bio of all of my dating apps, it says I'm a business owner and that I love to travel. <laughs> that's fun. It's that this is an outlier among Christian curriculum companies and Christian colleges, though, because most of them have the world's worst PR. Okay, think about like think about <laughs> Pensacola's PR compared to Steven Anderson's. Right. The only thing people know him for is being like bootleg Westboro Baptist Church. Right. Like if you Google Stephen Anderson, you don't get his church website. You get hundreds of search results about how terrible he is. And then if you poke around, like if you know the name of his church, you can Google and get his church website. If you Google his wife, you don't get her family blog in the first, like ever. You get all these articles and then like you have to dig for to find to find the family blog. 
Pensacola is very different than like other fundies in this regard because it's, I guess it's just a little unsettling for those of us who have grown up surrounded by the world's worst PR to see actual good PR. It's a little weird. Maybe that's because you didn't grow up watching TV with commercials on it. I don't know. That's, I, that's very possible. Yeah, we turned off the commercials because they might have bad music or other inappropriate content in them. So the Hortons founded Pensacola Christian College in 1974. And then the Abeka program and the college both grew a lot. Abeka now has programs where you can subscribe to stream live lessons. And then there are also DVDs that you can buy where classes from Pensacola Christian Academy are recorded and then you can watch them back on your own time. I want to talk about these recorded classes for a minute because my school was not even close to having enough teachers to actually teach all the classes. So a lot of the elementary school in my school growing up was these recorded classes. And then some of the high school was as well. And I just figured it out. Remember I said earlier, I couldn't remember if I'd taken chemistry or not. I took chemistry through video classes. That's why I couldn't remember it. How does that work? Because like in order to do chemistry class properly, you need one access to a science lab. So like Bunsen burners, chemical, like all these things you're mixing, like two, you need like a teacher who's going to tell you, make sure that you follow these and these and these safety protocols. When you do this, like wear your goggles, wear your lab coat. We didn't have any of that. We just had um, a textbook and then you sit in front of a TV and you watch the recording of a class that happened like in the nineties. What? My dude, I have never done a chemistry experiment with like Bunsen burners or whatever. And I don't even know what a Bunsen burner is. I think it's that thing that has like the little blue flame on it. Yeah. But the closest I've ever gotten to a chemistry experiment in my entire life is putting Mentos into a Diet Coke, which we actually did as a science experiment in my school. We did like a whole pack of Mentos and like a two liter. It was actually pretty fun. But I just watched... I just watched the teacher on the screen do all the experiments. That's just, that's mind boggling. Like, so how do you get a passing grade in chemistry class if you can't do lab work? By answering the questions right on the, y'all get graded on lab work? Yes, you have to, you have to do the lab. I knew you had to do it in like regular school, but I didn't know you got a grade on it. Yeah, the the lab would be like, like half of your grade would be the classwork and half of your grade would be the lab work. So like, and this is how it would work is that, you know, on at our school, you know, and I think this is probably true for a lot of other schools is that some classes would be like, you'd have like a block class. So normal day, just normal class would be like 40 something minutes or something. But like on block days, your class would be an hour and a half long and you would only have uh, three or four classes instead of uh, all seven. So the longer class days would be the days that you were doing lab work. And so you would go into the chemistry lab and you would have a lab partner and you would have to do this experiment and you would have to like notate down what you saw and what happened when you did the experiment. And if you did it incorrectly, you would have to try to do it again or you would have to ask the professor or ask your teacher for help. Um, and if you missed it, then you would have to like come in on early during one of the days or during a time when you didn't have class to like make up the lab. So how is it hard to get them right? No, if like if you follow the directions properly. Um, so it's like a recipe. It's, it's like a recipe. Like you're good at baking, right? Yeah. It's like, so say you get a recipe for something, for something that you've never baked before, but you're being graded on having it come out properly. And you'll get credit for it if it's like, it, like if you get it like mostly right. 
you might not get like an A plus 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 on it, but you'll get like at least a decent grade. And so you show up for the lab work and you like try to do the lab properly. And if you really try to do the lab properly and you don't make any really stupid mistakes, then you'll get the, the credit for it. So I always thought that these experiments that they had you do in chemistry class were like were like ridiculously difficult. But I don't no. know what could be hard about doing a chemistry. I just I have no idea like what doing a chemistry experiment is like. Are you sprinkling things? Are you like stirring things? Are you heating things like measuring? It's, I assume there's measuring involved. Yeah. So it's like you uh, make sure you add like some number of milliliters of this fluid into some number of milliliters into this fluid and add shavings of, I don't know, like iron ox iron or something like that. And you have your iron and like, they tell you what it is. And maybe at the end you have to try and figure out what the final compound is based on. Cause you'll have been learning something in class. You'll have been learning a concept in class. Like, you know, your, your regular single bonds, your double bonds or whatever like that. And you'll have probably seen the chemical reaction that you are replicating You'll have seen that written out in the book and you'll like have done it on the homework. And so then you get to do it for real and you're like, oh, okay, that's what that is. That's why we have like, you know, that's why we're coming out with uh, X compound and Y compound. And there's a gas coming out of it that smells weird. Like, and you basically just have to write down like what your findings are and what your observations are, like what color the things turn or if there's heat coming out of it or if there's uh this or that or the like it's a lot of it's just observational of like qualities and a lot of it is is observational of like quantities so it's just writing down your observations and then trying to to suss out what the actual compound is and sometimes you won't know what the actual compound is at the end of it but like it's a that that's that's how chemistry class is supposed to be at least with the lab work but this sounds dangerous like what if like, don't people make mustard gas like constantly on accident in chemistry classes, or is that just in the like, movies? I think that's just in the movies. I never because I was made under the impression gas. that like somebody blows up the lab or makes a toxic gas like that could kill you like at least once or twice a year. No, that's just a trope. They they have you do certain experiments specifically because they're like, there's no way that they can make anything actually dangerous with this. If there's something actually dangerous that's going to happen, they'll have the, the teacher do it and demonstrate it rather than having you do it yourself. I, I feel like I've, I know about people doing experiments with like battery acid and burning all the skin off their hand or making toxic gas or like setting things where? on fire like i feel like that's like something that happens all the time really what where are you hearing about this i don't know probably pretty little liars i think that happened on that show okay well pretty little liars is uh absolute li i wish i went to that high school okay because everybody that went to that high school was super hot aside from the fact that is not an accurate representation of high school <laughs> so I just my school just didn't have any of this kind of stuff. My school had a microscope, but we had like we had like a toy microscope for a while, and then we got a very very basic one. Like later when I was in later in high school, so I got to see like skin cells and an eyelash and maybe spit under a microscope once. But I was supposed to have to do. I wasn't supposed to have to do uh, chemistry experiments for my class. I was just supposed to watch and observe the teacher do it on the video from the 90s. I was supposed to have to do dissections for my biology grade. 
but my school didn't have a lab or scalpels or PPE or dead frogs. So the compromise was that I was supposed to just watch dissections on video because ACE produced a set of videos where you could watch dissections on video, but I didn't want to do it because it was gross. So I just never did it. And I guess nobody ever noticed. See, that's a leaf out of my playbook. Cause for me, if I just didn't want to do an assignment, I'd skip it, take a zero and then make it up in the aggregate. So like if you nail your final paper, then it doesn't matter that you didn't do a bunch of the other assignments because you know c's make degrees yeah but i didn't i didn't take a zero i just didn't i got told to do it but then i never did it and nobody ever checked if i did it or not so i guess i got credit for it like does the government know that these kids are just not learning this stuff because this is like pitiful honestly everything that you're telling like i'm mad about this i mean that's a good question but i have a counter question if that's okay yeah go for it this is a serious question i'm not trying to be like devil's advocate here or anything i am honestly asking you why does a kid need to cut a frog open or mix some chemicals in order to graduate high school like how is that necessary like what life skills did i miss from not doing that Well, not everyone's going to grow up to be a pastor or a pastor's wife. So like somebody's got to grow up to be a doctor. Somebody's got to grow up to be a chemical engineer or a nurse or a pharmacist. They're like, they're going to need to know this stuff. So that's fair. I just, I don't see why every high school student needs to cut up a frog when they could just learn anatomy from a book. And then the people who go to pre-med can have all the frogs for themselves. I don't know why they can't have dissections for people who go to college for biology. Like, I get why somebody would need to do it, but I don't get why the kid that's going to grow up to be a mechanic or a lawyer or a technical writer, I I don't get why that kid should have to take chemistry class and mix random stuff to see, like, the solution and the precipitate. Like, I learned about all that stuff. I had to memorize what happens if you mix this thing and that thing. And then the answer is like, oh, you get this in heat and this. Like, I don't get how it would have benefited me anymore to waste chemicals and also potentially endanger my fellow classmates by actually mixing the chemicals when I can just read about what happens when you mix those chemicals and then memorize it. Like, if I really need to know what happens if you mix these two chemicals anyway. Well, you learned it out of a book, though, and that's boring. If you like, if you tried it with yourself with your own hands, you might have thought that you really liked it, and you were like, you know what, I'm gonna go to college and I'm gonna learn all about it. Like, also, you know, not everybody knows what they want to be when they're a teenager. Some people don't decide that they know what they want to be until they're like 21 or 22, and then at that point, you know, you need to have some background knowledge so that you can pivot to. Like, if you have a lot of general knowledge about a lot of things, and then you're 21, 22, then you can say, okay, well, this is what I want to do. I can focus on this thing. You can't just say, oh, I want to. I think I want to do this, and now I have to learn everything from scratch. There's there's a difference. That, like, we're in the middle of this pandemic right now. One of the things that we saw happen was this miraculous development of a vaccine for this deadly virus in a matter of months rather than a matter of years, which is how long it like normally would have taken to develop a vaccine for a virus. And I guarantee you that the people who figured out how to do that figured out that they wanted to do that by starting out in middle school and high school, like with chemistry class and they figured out oh i'm pretty good at this you know i really like this this is a lot of fun for me i could do this for a career and then they got into it when they were in college and then they went to a grad school for it and then they got their master's or they got their doctorate for it and that's how it's got to start it's got to start when you're young you know i'm i'm glad you explained that i do see the value of it more than i did at the beginning of this discussion 
I still just, I still think it's awful that they make kids cut up animals in school. I, I don't, I, I guess it's just because I never had to do it. I, I totally understand the value of like why it would be great for them to learn that. I just, I'm really a fan of those like 3D dissection tables, like virtual dissection tables that they are inventing. Huh. <clears throat> yeah, I guess they did. They probably didn't have those in like 2007, 2008 when I was in biology class. Yeah, I class, just think so. like a, a, a method of learning that doesn't involve like children having to cut into animals because I, rem- I just remember having so much anxiety in high school. I knew I wasn't going to have to cut up anything for real because my school didn't have the resources, but I had so much like I cried over having to watch it on watch it on a DVD. You're not vegan. No, I just, I just, I just think it's, I was just grossed out by it as a kid. Actually, I was um, kind of like under the table vegetarian for a while in high school. Oh. I can't, um, like, and I still, I don't eat, I don't eat a lot of meat and I don't eat meat off the bone at all. Really? Yeah, gross and bones gross me out in meat. Like, I don't eat chicken wings ever. Like, I don't. Interesting. Huh. I I never knew that. Yeah. I don't eat like pork chops off the bone. I don't eat T-bone steaks. Um. None of that. Yeah. So like, so, and like, I was not like in, I wasn't allowed to be vegetarian growing up because that's environmentalism and that's liberal. But if I had been allowed to, I would have been. So there's my fun fact with the episode. But yeah, I was so grossed out by the idea of needing to like watch dissections in class that I was, I was like crying. I was so stressed out by it. So I really like, and I, I, I think that would have probably been the case if I had gone to a regular school or any other school. I don't know. I, I don't. I just that, that's it's more of a personal problem, though, not a problem with Christian school. There are so many. Like, if every kid in school has to cut up a frog, isn't that like millions of frogs that have to die? I love frogs. I, I could take or leave them, but I, I don't know. I think the, I think the chemistry thing where you're just like, there's dangerous chemicals in there. I'm like, you saw that on the. You saw that by your own admission on Pretty Little Liars. It has liars in the name of the show. <laughs> I don't know. The ace, ca- the ace. Listen, it also uh, has pretty. And we all have to admit that Ashley Benson is very cute. Which one's she? Uh, They're all hot. Everybody in that show was hot. I don't even know what I'm talking about. True. So, no, the, the ACE uh, school chemistry set probably contained what, like frankincense, myrrh, water, oh. non alcoholic grape juice. Uh, that's, that's, that's very, <laughs> that's very accurate. Okay. Uh, are you ready to go? Are you ready to go take a break finally? Yeah, let's take up the okay. offering. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we are back from our break. We are talking about uh, the Abeka curriculum. When we talked about Pensacola, we really focused on my experiences there like the rules and what the experience was like for me. So we didn't have as much time to talk about PCC as an institution. And I'd like to go back and do that eventually. But I know this episode is more about Abeka. Then again, technically Abeka and PCC are the same institution, different arms of the same institution. So I was thinking what we could do is talk about a couple of things that we didn't have time for in the PCC episode, but that heavily relate to the Abeka curriculum. And then we'll finish this one off by examining what the Abeka curriculum is actually teaching. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to cover is just a minor tax quibble. It's not Kent Hovind level. I say minor, it's a lot of money, but it's not Kent Hovind level by any means. But the facts of how this situation went down illustrate the connections between PCC and Abeka, like how it's set up as a business. And then it also illustrates the facts of how, like the facts of how this tax problem was solved say a lot about this organization, I think, if you read between the lines. So how this was originally set up, uh, Abeka and PCC are two different LLCs, which are owned by a different larger LLC. All of how this worked in practice is all of the millions of dollars that Abeka earned selling books, DVDs, and other materials got funneled into PCC. Abeka is a for-profit company, but PCC is not. So because Pensacola Christian College didn't pay taxes as a nonprofit, Abeka gave them all their taxable income and then didn't pay taxes either. Mm. Is that legal? I am pretty That's... sure. So at I think at the time, Abeka was set up as a nonprofit, and then the tax problems came when they had to register as a for-profit company. Oh, okay. That makes it... Because if you just set everything up as a 501c3 then ever like that's that's all legal but i should this isn't like a hiles publications equals slush fund to buy fur coats for his mistress's mm. situation this is like a hmm. this i i'm pretty sure the way that it was set up in the beginning was legal the problem is that abeka made so much money that it became apparent that they were not a nonprofit company so then abeka had to register as a for profit and then that caused problems with all the money that they were funneling into pcc oh. which is still a nonprofit okay hmm and this is like this is just my opinion, but I think that many Christian businesses tend to look at nonprofit laws as if it's Christian, it should be able to be nonprofit. So if my company is Christian in any way, I shouldn't have to pay taxes. Um, not every business, not every Christian, but I've seen a lot of people using that line of thinking. Of course, if you're pay if you're employed by a nonprofit, you still got to pay income tax. Right. Like, so if right. you're employing people in your nonprofit, you still got to pay into Social Security payroll tax. All that means is that they're saying, oh, well, we're Christians, so we don't have to pay the corporate taxes. Yeah. Paging Cantovind, you also have to file as a 501c3. I don't love the fact that Abeka was able to file as a nonprofit personally, but you're correct that it's not illegal. Yeah. Schools are usually also going to be run as a nonprofit, though, even if their curriculums are extremely sus. Yeah, but Abeka isn't really a school. It's a curriculum company. 
It's a textbook company. But I think the fact that they were set up in this way, it's very clever, even though like it's legal, but very clever. I think like that's that helps me make the general point that I'm trying to make about PCC and Debecca. What, that they're basically like they're run by people who are at least like competent? Yes. Or... And I hear the skepticism in your voice, but I feel like anyone who has attended any other fundy college is on the same page with me here. Other fundy colleges have broken down facilities and everybody is just barely scraping by all the time. I have no personal knowledge of this, but in my head, I imagine that HAC's accounting is done by Quill and Inkwell by candlelight in some like dark, moldy, spiderweb covered corner of the attic. My guess is that it's done on an Excel spreadsheet on a computer that's still running Windows XP. That is that is extremely possible. Well, we new computers. We just got new computers twenty years ago. <laughs> we don't need new computers. Hiles Anderson just got computers twenty years ago. They got computers on campus for the first time, or they got internet on campus for the first time right before Jack Hiles died. They're state of the art, man. Running Windows ninety eight on the Gateway two thousand, man. It's the so the other the other thing I wanted to point out about this tax issue, though is that Abeka paid the $44 million in back taxes through a settlement with the IRS that allowed them to not admit any wrongdoing. And then they asked for a waiver on the $3.5 million that they would have owed in state taxes. So new legislation went into effect during this time period in Florida that would have meant that they did not have to pay that $3.5 million in state taxes. So they weren't obligated to pay it. But people in Florida were legitimately upset that Pensacola Christian College was event- was effectively getting $3.5 million in taxes written off by the state of Florida. So PCC voluntarily paid the $3.5 million. Dr. John Mullenix, who was the vice president for public affairs at the time, and he ended up being the pastor of the campus church by the time that I was there, said that they paid the extra $3.5 million to avoid being an offense. Mm. And that, I think that says a lot about the branding and the personality of PCC and Abeka. See, I I don't buy that explanation at all. Something smells extremely fishy here. That's part of what I'm saying, though. The explanation sounds extremely nice and Christian-y if you take it at face value. But then you think about it for a minute and it's like, really, though? I don't know. I, I still don't buy that. Nobody's pay- it's If it's like a hundred bucks, yeah, sure. But nobody is paying an extra three and a half million dollars to, quote unquote, avoid being an offense. There's Christian morals and then there's three and a half million dollars. OK, you only pay that kind of money if you're trying to prevent the government from like basically being legally allowed to dig deeper into your finances and figure out what's really going on here. See, that's that's exactly it. So if this was Hiles Anderson, they would claim persecution and then ask everybody for their watches and wedding rings so they could pay off this tax bill. But Pensacola, they have the money. They come up with the money. They pay the money for unknown reasons, but probably to keep the government from being able to dig into their finances. But then they're so slick and they're so savvy and they just say, well, we just paid that to be Christians and nice people. Man, if somebody if somebody wanted three and a half million dollars out of me that I didn't owe them, I would die before I gave that money to them, man. I would just out of spite man like i'm serious if somebody was trying to get that money out of me i would like and i did not legally owe them that money or like i could legally fight it i would like 
fight it tooth and nail, even if it cost me $5 million to fight that, I would do it just, just out of principle, just that like, they can't, you can't with us like that. Well, I think you're, I think you're right that like, there was probably an ulterior motive for them wanting to pay this money back. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just think, I just think that they are, they have a, a way of twisting things to fit their narrative. That's a lot, a lot more effective than other Christian institutions and other fundamentalist institutions. They owed like what fifty million dollars in back taxes. Almost, yeah. That's a lot of course materials that they're selling. If you owe fifty million in back taxes, that's that's yeah. That's they a lot of course materials. They sell a lot more, I think, than ACE does. Or maybe their course materials are more expensive because they're just higher quality. So serious question. They they have the settlement. They have this uh, PR spin or whatever. Did people actually buy it? Like, are people taking them at their word that they're like, oh, we just paid the extra money because we're Christian? So I don't know for sure because this happened in 1996. So it was a long time before I got there. So this is in 96. So three and a half million in 96 dollars is like six million dollars today. Hmm. Jesus. Like. Okay, I'm I'm just curious. I think that like, you know, if Jack Hiles made a similar claim, you know, the way that you've described First Baptist Church of Hammond, they I mean they would have bought it. But PCC, it seems maybe they're a bit more savvy and people can read between the lines, even if they <coughs> you know, even if they don't say anything out loud. Yeah, I think so. Let's do a hypothetical. So let's say this happened while I was there in like 2013, 2014. I'm sitting in church with my friends. They announce from the pulpit what's going on with the tax thing. You would definitely see all of the less gullible students kind of side-eye each other, subtle eye contact, raise an eyebrow. But if you laughed out loud, you'd get a green slip. And if you were overheard talking about any doubts in public, you'd get a green slip. Mm. So it wasn't a, it wasn't don't have doubts. It was don't talk about them out loud or you're going to end up in getting demerits and discipline committee. So tax settlements are something that they would announce in church. Any That's... kind of church business is something that they'd announce in church. So they wouldn't just do like a press release at, like on Friday, you know, like a Friday news dump and then not talk about it or like, because um, if you talk about it in chapel, it's all church business is going to get brought up in church. I don't that that's so weird to me because if I were trying to do it, I would just announce, yeah, we're doing this just because it's alongside our Christian values. And then you do like you do it on your Friday like email blast, like your Friday news dump, like the third line item on it. Treat it like it's not even a thing. Yeah, um I, I don't I don't know. It's just a Baptist thing, I think. Pensacola is technically like they don't claim being Baptist because they want to bring in as many students as possible. So they just describe themselves as Christian, but they're very Baptist and like practice and how they do things. They they make announcements related to anything and everything in church, but not on Sunday morning at Pensacola because their Sunday morning services are recorded for their television program. So it's like, what is it? Wednesday night service? Church yeah. service? Is that just like a place where the pastor can air any dirty laundry? Oh, Sunday night and Wednesday night for most churches. That's just, that's so bizarre. Yeah. Um, even though PCC is much more reserved, that kind of thing still absolutely happens here and there. Um, just in a much calmer tone of voice than you would hear at a regular IFB church where pastors are like calling people out by name from the pulpit. I know a lot of our listeners have um, 
real trauma because like they're a kid and their parent did something that pissed off the pastor and the pastor like called out their family from the pulpit and like shamed their family in front of the entire congregation. Wow. I've heard I've heard several stories like that from listeners. Yikes. That's terrible. So we <laughs> So after that lovely long rabbit trail about taxes, I think we should talk about what a Becca curriculum actually teaches. Do they teach you that the Loch Ness monster was actually a dinosaur? Well, I happen to have an Abeka biology book here, so I can see if I can find anything about Nessie. I'm so excited. Let's see. What, what do we have here? What, what's what's in the, the book? Okay. So I checked in the index for any reference to Nessie, Loch Ness Monster. I did not find anything. So then I checked for dinosaurs. I read through the dinosaur section. Nothing there either. So I have not read through this entire biology book, but I am fairly confident that it does not say that the Loch Ness Monster is real and proof of young Earth creationism. So out of curiosity, when you say, so when you went to Pensacola, what percentage of kids would you say had ACE or uh, versus how many had a Becca? I don't think they had a big enough sample size to know a percentage it's a very big mix of different educational backgrounds there. I know there are people there who had ACE, people who had a Becca, but there are also plenty of people who went to public school, tons and tons of homeschoolers who who knows what curriculum they used, people who did Bob Jones curriculum, other smaller Christian curriculums. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if like 20% or more of PCC students did a Becca. So Pensacola isn't going to be as blatant about all, like as ACC is, you know, as ACC, as ACE is anyway. It's, I mean, it's just not in their character. They're, I guess they're the reserved fundies and they're not going to be teaching obvious fallacies or just stuff that's ridiculous. You would think that. <laughs> but when I got this science book, our, our listener and friend of the podcast, Morgan, sent me this book. So shout out to Morgan. But I, I got this book and I opened it to a random page. And the page that I opened it to had the header in large, bold letters. Evolution is not science. That sounds about standard. So this textbook is 631 pages long, not counting the index and glossary and stuff. And while evolution is talked about negatively throughout the book, like every page or two, there will be some reference to like, and this is why evolution is wrong. Um, pages 338 through 407 are dedicated to specifically attacking evolution. Uh, so 70 pages or 11% of the book. Wow. Also, um, anti-abortion rhetoric is just throughout this book, like in the very, very, very brief section about reproduction. But there are several pages dedicated to just absolute misinformation about abortion as well. Like how brief? Oh, the reproduction section? Yeah. Four sentences. Four se that's a sh do, like. Do you want me to just read it? Yeah, read it. That's very okay. short. Okay, okay. Reproductive system. Finally, the body system which is responsible for the continuation of the human race is the reproductive system. It consists of a number of organs which are influenced by hormones produced by endocrine glands. In italics in the book, a new living person begins at conception. In italics, the time when the male gamete, is that right? G-A-M-E-T-E, -E, uh, unites with the female, female gamete in a process called fertilization. 
Before birth, development of the child takes place in the uterus or womb, a muscular organ in the mother's abdomen. So the reproduction section of this biology textbook makes it clear that life begins at fertilization, a la Steven Anderson, just wanted to throw that out there, but does not contain the words penis, vagina, ovary, implantation, or sex. Nope. I guess I do have to give Rebecca some credit There is an illustration of a sperm cell and egg cell. It's not on the same page as the four-sentence reproduction section, but there is is an illustration, so that's something, but no idea how the sperm and egg find each other, become friends. Uh, Several pages later, there's an excerpt from a book called The Wonders of Creation by Alfred Raywinkle, R-E-H-W-A-N-K-E-L, And the the excerpt there says, these cells are derived by cell division in the testicles of the male and the ovaries of the female. So at least it says testicles and ovaries. I guess that's good. That excerpt um, also has the only mention of fallopian tubes in this book. So what? So there's just like no diagrams or anything? Uh, no, there is a singular, there's an image of a sperm cell and an egg cell. That's it. That's no diagrams. Is it just like a, a circle and a little tadpole? Like yeah, well, I mean, it's a nice. It's like I'll I can post a picture of it on the Instagram. It's a it's a pretty nice like colored illustration. I don't know. It's better than like the blurry black and white drawings in the ACE books. So, um, weirdly, aside from there being no diagrams, there's also no mention of implantation at all or sex. It, it's not that I expected this book to like explain the mechanics of sex. That is way too much to ask from the fundies, but they couldn't say like. Maybe they could have put it in small print at the bottom of the page, like, the egg and sperm meet as a result of sexual intercourse. They just do not want you to know how this works, do they? Why? Like, why is that? No, like, people, like, literally, you could be a an IFB teenager and read this book and, like, not understand, like, you could understand, like, oh, sperm meets egg, but you don't know anything about implantation and you have no idea about how they met in the first place. This is how you get teenagers, by the way who give in to temptation and kiss their partner and then think they're pregnant. This is how that happens. Just so you know. What? I've never heard. That's nuts. Wait, right. Because you guys thought that kissing equals oral sex. And then. Right. Well, because you don't know. You don't know what sex is. You don't know what body parts people who aren't you have. You don't know. So you know that like, you know that pregnancy is a result of close contact somehow. But you don't know how. So so people like, okay, you remember um, in Heather's book about keeping an aspirin between her knees? Because So Heather, Heather overheard bits and pieces. She knew that you got pregnant if you, quote unquote, slept with a boy. And her grandmother had said something about keeping aspirin between your knees, and that's how you don't get pregnant. So she would literally go to the medicine cabinet and put an aspirin between her knees when she was watching a movie on the couch with a boy like with i think it was with her male cousins in case she fell asleep so then she wouldn't get pregnant (laughs) but this is how that happens so so part of this i think is philosophical 
The fundies really think that if teenagers do not know how to do the sex, they will not do the sex. And sometimes this works if you're really dedicated to not letting your kids know anything. It's like an 18, 19-year full-time job on top of raising kids. But Anna Duggar famously did not know what sex was until like three weeks before her wedding. I'm sure the boys know what sex is. See, that's the thing. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that they do, which is sexist because you're giving the power of knowledge to the people who cannot bear a pregnancy, not giving that power to the people whose lives are actually much more affected if a pregnancy happens. And also the boys are the ones who are being told that they like can't control themselves. So like, AKA, I don't have to control myself. Like, right. Okay. We're getting, we're getting into sexism and I want to talk about other terrible things. The other part of this though, I think it's, I think it's philosophical, but also business related. Because as we talked about, PCC and Abeka are institutionally not nearly as fundy as Hiles Anderson or that brand of like IFB fundamentalists, but they sell curriculum to those people. And those people wouldn't buy their curriculum if it said anything about sex. Any reference to anything sexual is completely gone from this book. Yeah. So you could read everything this book has to say and not understand how a pregnancy happens I'm not I'm not saying that it doesn't describe any kind of sexual activity. I'm saying that it does not indicate that pregnancy is a result of sexual activity. Wow. It also doesn't show any sex organs. And I don't mean that the diagrams don't show penises or whatever. I mean anything like internal organs that cannot possibly be titillating. In the center of the book, There's one of those nice cutaway drawings with like the transparencies that you can layer over the drawing of a person and see like the muscle layers and the organs and the veins and that kind of cool thing. And it shows almost every organ and muscle that you can possibly think of, but it does not show a uterus. It does not show like testicles. It does not show ovaries, nothing. It shows a bladder, but the bladder just leads to nowhere, which really cracked me up. Well, when I was a kid, I like I knew that girls sat down to pee and I didn't know why. So I just assumed that they peed out of their butt. Yeah, like like most <laughs> men. But can you imagine if that just didn't get corrected? Man. <sighs> so the next section I do want to talk about because this is really blatant misinformation. The section the, and trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. The section is called Killing the Unborn Child. That is the title of the section. So obviously, big TW, it's a short section in the book, but I want to talk about some very obvious things that the writers of the book do to promote their message. I'm going to use quotes from the book. I'm going to try to keep away from their like really inflammatory language, but this, this is going to be a bit rough. Yeah, let's go through this. Okay, here's a quote from the section. Since early times, sinful men and women have devised methods of killing unwanted children as they are developing in the womb, and those who have recognized the sanctity of human life have denounced the practice. Mm. So that's a bit of a bias to start off with. That's putting it lightly. But but that's kind of what you expect to see in like a fundy science book, right? I'm not a fan of making moral judgments and calling people sinful in a in a science text, but it's what a fundy would do. The next paragraph, many people who support abortion do not even know what it is. Since it is such a vital issue today, responsible citizens must understand it. Several methods of abortion are commonly used today. Over 90% of the surgical abortions done in the United States employ the suction method, used during the first three months of the child's development. 
It then goes on to describe the suction method, which is actually rarely used anymore. And the next paragraph begins with, about 3% of the abortions in the United States involve the DNC method. So did you catch what I caught? Look at the statistics what? they provided. Did you see what they did? No. Wait, what, what did they do? Quoting from the book again, several methods of abortion are commonly used today. Over 90% of the surgical abortions done in the United States. Oh, of the surgical abortions. They completely ignore the fact that over 90% of abortions total are pill abortions. Oh, okay. And that one they cannot describe in violent and salacious terms because they are generally done when the fetus is so small and honestly does not feel pain. So they just skip over it and use that 90% statistic in an extremely misleading way. So this makes me this makes me mad. This makes me so mad. Were you expecting anything different though? No, but I should be able to expect a science book to not blatantly and purposely misuse statistics. That's reprehensible. This is so much worse than a science book that says abortion is sinful. This isn't a science book. This is a piece of religious propaganda. It purports to be a science book. Sadie, Mein Kampf purports to be like political theory. Okay. It's not. (laughs) But like, yes. It, it makes, of course, it makes me mad that a book that is used to educate people and calls itself a science book is anti-evolution to the point that it permeates almost every page. I don't like that. I don't like that this book actively obscures needed and necessary information about human reproduction. I don't like it. But that's what you expect. I feel like this bit, though, with completely misused statistics, it's just so clearly a method of manipulation. I guess it's just the straw that breaks the camel's back for me. Were you expecting any different, though? Like, that's like what specifically? I would expect them not to use statistics. It's that 90% statistic. It is so clearly misused that anyone with a brain can see what they were trying to do there. You know, though, like the most convincing lies are the ones that have an element of truth to them. That's how this works. You like, if you're trying to make up propaganda, you find a statistic. That you can like, that's just like, you know, day one, that's propaganda 101. Find a statistic that, you know, it's the same thing as, uh, what do they call it? They of, um, you know, when it's the same sort of thing as where you want to have an opinion and then you find a Bible verse that supports that Mm. opinion. Uh, Proof texting. Proof texting. It's the same thing as that. You know, you just find a statistic and uh, you, I mean, you leave out any context. It's, it's, it's very, people always fall for that. It's really easy to make somebody fall for that. If you just give them a statistic that backs up what they already think. Well, what about it? to make somebody fall for that if they're 16 years old they have no access to dissenting information because this is a textbook that is in christian perspective they are now putting their textbook on a level with religious teachings yeah is it easy to mislead somebody then do you think giving people statistics that reinforce things that they already believe even if the statistics are wrong that's like literally the easiest thing to do in the world because people just want to believe it if you already believe something and somebody gives you a statistic that supports something that you already believe even if the statistic is completely made up or like it's it's when you get that feeling of yes i'm right about this thing that i believe and that makes me morally good it's just like 
it's it's so cathartic to people it's um, it's like you know injecting xanax right into your brain so there is one sentence hidden in the text after the misleading statistic where they where the textbook says early term abortions can also be carried out using drugs that kill the the developing child and induce miscarriage also mm. This can also be done the way that it's done 90% of the time. But we're not going to say that because we want to inflame you with violent language. It's just a footnote. So I am not going to read you um, the language that they use to describe. They go through a um, paragraph or two on suction abortions, DNCs, DNEs. I'm not going to read you the language because it is incredibly graphic and violent, but I take my word for it. They have represented this as an inc- in an incredibly biased way that is 100% intended to influence young minds. They're using extremely loaded language. So I'm going to give you a list of words that are used here. They are still incredibly violent words, but I've taken them out of the sentences. So hopefully you get the point with as little... Uh, potential pain and trauma as possible. But here are some words that they use to describe these procedures. Tear, crush, dismember, and drag. So I think that should give you a pretty good idea of how they're describing these procedures. There's There's also a section which is longer than the section on reproduction about saline abortions. And as we know, uh, we talked about these in our episode on that. Saline abortions are not commonly used anymore. The book refers to it as salt poisoning. And goes on to describe saline abortions 100% incorrectly. Uh, the book says that the fetus swallows and inhales the salt solution and that it burns the fetus's skin. This is not how a saline abortion works. The solution is much too weak of a concentration to cause any kind of burning pain. If it burned the fetus, the pregnant person would feel burning too. This is not how saline abortions work or worked when they were used, which they are not really anymore. This is straight up misinformation. What's the name of that lady from our abortion episode? That Gianna Jensen. Gianna Jensen, where she's like, I survived a saline abortion and I have a memory of like the blinding pain. Like, do you think that her like and her mother like told her this story? Do you think that Yeah, she got adopted by a pro-life advocate? And I think that that person probably unintentionally planted these memories. Like, I would give her the benefit of the doubt and think that her adoptive mother really thought that this was probably what happened, but accidentally implanted memories, although it could have uh, it could have absolutely been on purpose. But I, I would give her the benefit of the doubt. This is nuts. This is just so nuts. Like, do you remember back in the 2000s when Coca-Cola was providing like textbooks to cash strapped school districts in exchange for them letting them put soda machines in the schools. Yes, I've I've heard of that. But then the textbooks would have like extremely pro big business messaging in them. Huh, yes, yes, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, that's it's the same thing. It's like, you know, like we talked about last uh earlier with the vertical integration. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> So I just have to finish out this section because now I'm on a tear and I'm mad. This textbook describes late-term abortions. It claims that 10 to 15,000 third trimester abortions happen per year. I don't know where the f*** they're getting that number. Um, It doesn't say per year in the U.S. or per year in the world. It does not specify the states in the United States with the most liberal laws on abortion that actually allow this see fewer than 10 third trimester abortions per year. Source on that in the abortion episode. Mm. 
But it just says, so it doesn't say U.S. or world, though. It just says 10,000 to 15,000 per year. The book claims that a C-section is done. The the book claims that how a late-term abortion is done is that a C-section is done and the baby is, quote, laid aside to die of neglect. A medical team would work around the clock to save this same child if he were born prematurely and were wanted, end quote. And this is false. This is not true. This does not happen, at least not in the United States. No doctor would do this abortion. It would violate their ethics and it would, more, maybe more importantly, endanger their medical license. Mm. Doctors would lose their licenses if they did this. This textbook also describes partial birth abortion. I am not going to tell you what it says. I want to, but I'm not going to traumatize listeners just because I'm mad. What I will tell you is the way that this, the way that this textbook describes this procedure happening would be extremely hazardous to the birthing person. And that's that's all I'm going to tell you. How much of the textbook is taken up by like talking about abortion? How many pages is it? The abortion section is uh, five or six pages. Five or six pages just to talk about abortion. Wow! But like like um, anti evolution little digs at evolution are sprinkled throughout the entire textbook, almost on each page. Little digs about abortion are sprinkled throughout the textbook as well. I like I get why you're mad about this. Maybe for me, I guess I just stopped being mad about this stuff because I stopped being surprised by it. You you know what I'm saying? Like there's lots of people in this country that believe this, even without these textbooks. Like, do you think that those people are going to send their kids to a school where the curriculum doesn't reinforce the beliefs that they are like already like? It's just like I was saying earlier, you're going like if you believe something, then you're going to try and make sure that your kids believe the same thing. So you're going to try and reinforce that in every aspect of their education, especially if your beliefs are really extreme. You know, like they're just basically taking something that people already believe and reinforcing it. I just started getting mad like a couple of years ago, so I'm still new at being mad. So I still have a lot of energy for this. Yeah. Oh. Maybe it's better if we just like, why don't we move on to a different section of the book? That's fine. Yeah. For the well, sake of your sanity. What sanity? Yeah. What, what's what's left? So I was thinking that we might do a little bit from an Abeka history textbook, actually. Oh, boy. Okay. My favorite subject. Uh, what What history are we going to learn about today? So I just, I mostly just want to be done with being mad for right now. And I'm just going to give you some highlights from the Nebeka High School history text. I think we all know at this point that there are going to be some weird things in here about how Columbus brought the gospel to the new world and a lot of pro-colonial stuff like that. But there are some different things that I think we can get from Nebeka history texts that are like uh, a little bit different than what we got from ACE history texts. I found this very interesting quote online. This is from America Land That I Love, which is the Abeka 8th grade textbook. That's an interesting title. <clears throat> yeah, that's, it kind of tells you where the book is coming from, huh? So here's a quote from the book. God used... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. I feel so bad that this is going to be out there in my voice. You've got you've to read it. I, gotta, I, 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 uh, I got What's the yips. I like, couldn't do it. Okay. <laughs> God used the trail of tears to bring many Cherokee to Christ. Mm. I, I'm sorry, I can't do that in my announcer voice. I cannot. I physically cannot do it. Ethnic cleansing, but make it Christian. <laughs> God. 
Thank you for singing that. That made me feel so much better. What the f***? (laughs) By the way, I'm not laughing in any way to minimize the... The ethnic cleansing? Atrocity that was the Trail of Tears. Uh, I've just like... It's like a nervous reaction almost, you know? Yeah. uh, There are some things like... There are some things so terrible that we read on this podcast and it's... It's a lot easier to laugh on air than cry on air. <laughs> uh, ethnic cleansing. So, so okay. So let's keep going. History, Rebecca. History. And thanks again to Morgan. Um, not only did she buy me my very own Rebecca Science Propaganda book, but she also sent me a bunch of pictures and videos of her Rebecca History books. So this, the one that I'm looking at, it's the tenth grade history textbook, World History and Cultures in Christian Perspective. Again, kind of. Uh, um, broadcasts the theme right there in the title. Great title. So here's a quote from the introduction to that book. From the beginning of history, the Bible is our only reliable record. Wow. Really? Yep. The Uh, only reliable record. The only reliable record. Same page. Yeah, but how do we know what was going on in places that weren't West Asia? Like Southwest Asia. Yeah. The... I guess those places weren't important. Or somebody would have written about them, obviously, yeah. In the Bible, right, which is our only reliable record. Uh, So here's a quote from the same part of the book. The first advent of Jesus Christ to earth, his incarnation, birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension is the focal point of all history. History began with God and his act of creation. It climaxed with God's act of redemption, his coming to earth. Yes, Mm. in the form of man to redeem men from their sins. And God tells us that history will end with his judgment of the sinful world. So if that was the textbook that I just read, like that's the textbook. So test questions would be like, blank is the focal point of all history. So that's like the, the level of, of quiz questions that you get from this curriculum. I suppose that tells you, like, if you're in this class, then you don't need to learn anything about history except for what happened to Jesus. Right. Because that's the focal point. Like you, you learned about Jesus. Everything else is like... There was this, so there was this phrase going around Fundy Land when I was a teenager, um, which is Jesus is the answer to every question. So a lot of us used to get smart. If we didn't know a question on our quiz or test, we would just write in Jesus. And that this kind of feels Did like... Did that work? Or... Um, it, they, <laughs> the way... <laughs> The way I remember this happening is that they they let you do it for like one test and then the teachers were like, okay, no, you actually have to learn things. So the textbook goes on. It talks about the Tower of Babel as the beginning of languages, nations, and races and points out the sin of humanism, an expression of rebellion. And then it says that the descendants of Ham settled in Africa, the descendants of Shem settled in Asia and the Middle East, and the descendants of Japheth settled in Europe. It does not go into the Curse of Ham doctrine but it clearly alludes to it. So that's fun. Mm, curse of him. That's an oldie mm-hmm. but a goodie. <laughs> I feel like we don't talk about that one enough. Well, we talked about it in like episode two and then it keeps coming back. It does keep coming back, man. <laughs> like a curse. The actual yeah. curse of ham is that we still have to hear about it. Curse of ham is that uh, Sadie couldn't put ham in the in the casserole that she made. <laughs> Ham is cursed. Ham is a cursed meat. You're not allowed to eat it. That's what I have to say about the curse of ham. I'll take yours. <laughs> it's less racist. Yeah, there we go. So uh, so you can slander JC and then um, 
next time you're here, I'll just eat like a giant ham sandwich in front of you and then we'll be chill, right? Yeah. Yeah, even. Yeah. We believe in equality on this interfaith podcast. Yeah. The other thing I want to get into from this book is the weird direction that it goes toward the end. So you have chapter 26, uh, which is titled The Cold War Era Years of Conflict. And the like subheadings in that chapter are, I'm not going to read all of them, but I'll give you an idea. Like the United Nations, the Cold War Begins, Communism in China, the Korean War, Conflicts in Latin America, the Vietnam War. Okay. I mean, that's standard, right? It's, this is mostly about Yeah, this seems conflict. like normal. Yeah. The next chapter is where things get weird. So chapter 27 is entitled The Rise of Globalism, and it includes topics like mm. the Persian Gulf War, the European Union, Eastern Europe and Russia, Africa, the Americas, Asia and the Middle East, and then the final section of the book, which is titled A New World Order. Ooh. So I just want to say something here. If somebody ever uses the word globalists or globalism, they mean Jews. Okay. It's a buzzword. It's like Rothschilds, wealthy elite, international banking community, like all of those. It means Jews. Mm -hmm. It means Jews. We're going to have to talk about the protocols of the elders of Zion at some point. Um, but that's where all those come from. New World Order, Jews. That's it. Yeah, and you would think that that topic doesn't have much to do with fundamentalism, but it turns out that it kind of has everything to do with fundamentalism. Well, it's basically satanic panic. Yeah, it's it's so weird to me still how all of this is tied in and it's coming from like the fundies who are like, uh, gotta rebuild the temple in Israel so Jesus can come back. Good. If you're mean to a Jewish person, God will be super mad at you. But then they don't realize, like, they don't understand that their entire conspiracy theory world is built on the protocols of the elders of Zion. It's nuts to me. Yeah. So what are they saying about the new world order? So the general gist of the entire section is like UN bad. The book says that the UN plans for national disarmament disarmament, and the establishment of a world army. <laughs> I can read the quote on this. Um, yeah. Conservatives in Great Britain, the United States and elsewhere grew increasingly concerned as they watched the UN interfere in the name of peacekeeping, scare quotes around peacekeeping, in the civil struggles of nations like Haiti, Bosnia, Somalia, Rwanda, and Zaire. So this this section about UN interference in the name of peace, what even is this? They brought scare up what, tactics? They, they brought up Rwanda in this? What? Yeah. Rwanda? Yeah, conservatives were concerned because the UN interfered, um, scare quotes around the word peacekeeping, Uh, in the civil struggles of these nations. So, like, the implication is that the UN uh, shouldn't have gotten involved. I am... Do do they not know what happened in Rwanda? Do they... I mean, I don't think I know what happened. Okay, so... Because this is... like, And I I apologize for not knowing that, but this is the level my history books were on. So in 1994, one million people... More like 1.1 million people were murdered in the span of about three months. Okay. By any measure, like one of the most brutal and horrific genocides that that the world has ever seen. And basically there was no... And this was in Rwanda. There was basically no real coordinated inter- international response to this at all which has been like a stain on the reputation of the UN like the issue here isn't that the UN intervened the issue here with what the UN did in Rwanda is that they didn't do anything like a million people died 
And that's not an exaggeration. Literally more than 1 million people died. And it's utterly at, like, I'm angry about this. It's utterly asinine for Abeka to bring up this in the way that they're like, oh, conservatives were concerned about the overreach of UN peacekeeping. No, the reason why the US didn't do anything was because there was strong backlash for the u.s actions in somalia which they brought up they're like oh man civil struggles in somalia and the u.s tried to go in and it was a a cluster but then they didn't do anything in rwanda and a million people died and so last week um in the patreon version of the episode i said something that could have been misconstrued as like mildly complimentary of bill clinton but like this right here was like a failure for like an, a major source of shame for for his administration. Just want to put that out there that literally a million people died. So would you say that this is revisionist history? Because this sounds like it's revisionist at best and maybe just straight mis- misinformation this instead. Even like revisionist. This is I, I don't even know what the, this is like if your civics teacher was showing you Alex Jones videos. Ooh. This is what? Like, so it's just like propaganda. No, this is propaganda on bath salts. I don't even know. The, <laughs> I can tell you the U.S. refusal to send troops to Rwanda is one of the biggest mistakes in U.S. foreign policy history. More than one million people died. I can also tell you that I like personally, and this is coming from me. I personally don't take the United Nations seriously at all. And their ref, like their refusal to act in this situation is one of the many reasons why. So I want to finish out this anti-UN propaganda section here, just to button it all up, if we can. Here's a, I'm just going to quote the rest of this section. Throughout the 1990s, the UN continued to pursue a radical social agenda that alarmed conservatives around the world. Uh, the book talks about like population control, blah, blah, blah. The UN's Convention on the Rights of the Child authorized governments to guarantee, cho- to guarantee children Freedom of expression, freedom to seek, received, and impart information, freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, regardless of the wish- wishes of their parents. <sighs> just, I, I don't know. I just think this is so funny <laughs> because these grand sweeping UN declarations is all that they really do. That, like, that's it. They're like, we've done the the convention on the rights of the child. Yeah. And like, do more children across the world have rights? No. Like they, nothing they do has any teeth mm. behind it. Yet the fundies are basically using what amounts to a self-congratulatory PR stunt as a looming boogeyman that one world government is going to take your kids away and make them atheist. But also, like, don't you want children to have those things that are listed? Yeah. Well, it's basically just the music video to We Are the World. The UN made a, a fucking, you know, they make We Are the World with Michael Jackson. They're like, there we go. Poverty <laughs> solved. <Problem> hunger <laughs> solved. Like what's next on the agenda (laughs) like i get that in the real world like this un declaration didn't have a lot of effect but it feels so evil to have a high school textbook conditioning children to believe that for other children to have those rights is somehow a bad thing well if you're not gonna have those rights then nobody should you know what i'm saying (laughs) right so this goes on to talk about how oh uh, sorry let me back up on that um, I think this is maybe a bit of Bill Gothard influence because he's all about giving up your rights to things. 
So this book goes on to talk about how the big bad evil UN made proposals, quote, to redefine marriage to include perverse sexual behavior and family to include non-related individuals. What does this mean? What do they mean by this? They mean gay marriage is bad and the UN supports gay marriage. Therefore, the UN is bad and wants to make everybody gay. That's this is utterly laughable. So have you seen the list of countries that are on the UN Human Rights Council right now? Uh, I have seen it. I couldn't tell you exactly who it is off the top of my head. Here's a qu- How many of those countries have rights for gay people? How many of those countries have the death penalty for gay people? Because I think it's more than one. <laughs> And those are like the countries on the human rights. I'm sorry. Like this yeah, is. Yeah, like I know the. I know that that was a. That that is a a huge ethical issue at the moment. Yeah, or like li- like literally countries on the council. They're like, yeah, we literally have slavery in our country, but sure, we can be on the human rights council. Why not? We so, don't do anything. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't matter who's on it. Like, right. <laughs> so it, it's just funny because in Fundy World. The UN is like this big bad world controlling unit, like organization who is eventually going to run the entire world and make us a one world government and a new world order. And and it's going to set up the Antichrist and all this stuff. And then you get out in the real world and you find out and you're like, what does the UN do? If I know. <laughs> like you get out in the real world and you're like, oh, do they actually do anything? It's just it's just it's amazing to me. It's just it's amazing to me because you're like in Fundy World, you think the UN runs everything and then you get out and you're like, wow. Okay, um, you know that meme that's like, you know, they taught me stop, drop and roll as a kid and I really expected to be on fire more as an adult. (laughs) Yeah, it's that. (laughs) But with the UN, (laughs) they taught me like the UN controls everything and I really expected to have more involvement somehow with the UN as a secular adult. I mean, the World Food Program, that's decent. Like, so I want to wrap this up with two bonus quotes from an Abeka Bible textbook. Go for it. Because this is just fun. Here's here's the first quote. Progressive education was actually regressive. What? This, so this is like the education equivalent of so much for the tolerant left. <laughs> Hell. Actually, the anti-racists are the real racists. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, okay, so here's here's one more bonus quote, and this one is just maybe the greatest quote ever in a in a Rebecca book that I have seen so far. This quote is about <laughs> rock music's impact. Oh, man. These Saddle are it the- up. Inject it right into my veins, baby. I want to hear this. <laughs> These are the three great lyrical themes of rock music. Sex, hate, and a smarmy, hypocritical version of brotherly love. <laughs> Such polluted sources issue in a muddy stream where only monsters can swim. Glance at the videos. (laughs) It's not over. (laughs) Glance at the videos that project images on the wall of Plato's cave since MTV took it over suffices to prove this. Hitler's Hitler's image recurs frequently enough in exciting context to give one pause. What the f*** is this quote? That went from zero to like 1,000. I have to know who wrote such polluted sources issue in a muddy stream where only monsters can swim. Only monsters can swim. Okay. I was a media studies major in college after um, I was a music major. This sounds like the type of shit 
that I would write if I didn't do the reading assignment and still wanted partial credit on the, you know what I'm saying? If I was just like, I got a paper due tomorrow. I'm going to like take an Adderall and drink like a half a bottle of whiskey and just fucking write this. At, like, yeah. Well, you know, like if you take, if you take Adderall, then it makes your uh, alcohol tolerance way higher. So yes, I've heard of this. So you can just like drink a ton and you like your brain is like loose, but you're like still there. You know, yeah, so I think not, that would. Just, so, so I think that that whoever wrote this such polluted sources quote being on Adderall and alcohol, honestly, that sounds pretty accurate. But I can tell that whoever wrote this was really passionate about the language that they were using. It's such a word. They're like they start with one metaphor and then they switch it to a different met. Like they're like it muddies the waters in the stream where only monsters can swim, and then they immediately switch to the allegory of the like two different metaphor. You, if you're gonna have one metaphor, you got to keep it going through the whole thing. And then they're like Hitler's image frequently recurs enough in exciting t- context to give one pause like what even is this this is this is not well written if i was an english teacher and but this is in like a history textbook this is in the this, bible textbook oh, that's in the bible te- what the yeah. what Jesus, so man, this is i, I want to sew this up with some final thoughts um because chuck will be up any second <laughs> I almost feel that Abeka textbooks are more dangerous than ACE because they look so much more legitimate. They look so much more polished. They look like real school textbooks to the point that I've heard of secular homeschooling parents using these books and just telling their kids to like ignore all the God parts. But the stuff that's in these books is almost more extreme, like more extreme nationalism, more blatant misinformation than what you would find in an ACE book. I, I just have to wonder, like, what's really worse ACE that says the Loch Ness Monster proves creation at apartheid was good, or twisted statistics, things that are just plain wrong, and nationalism absolutely everywhere. Do you remember when we were talking about Doug Phillips and the Jizen Forum, and you said that, like, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, said that you like this, the same fundy ideologies and systems that, like, control toxic positivity and um, that, like, it's much scarier if it's in yoga pants and a Subaru than if it's mm-hmm. dressed in fat fashions like 30 years out of date and can't appeal to anybody because like they don't know how out of touch they're like that's a good analogy for this they know to make it mm-hmm. slick going back to last week there's definitely an insidious side to PCC and there's more on them that we will revisit at some point but the people there at like at Pensacola Christian College are adults who have the full option to not take all of it seriously and I think that enough of the student body don't take things seriously that you're exposed to some different ideas you you have room to learn things that are not just what the college is spoon feeding you having this kind of thing put in front of children is really really terrifying to me i just i find that i care a lot more about putting this in front of people who are just going to believe what their textbook says than i do about putting the same stuff in front of full-grown adults like, you know, if you if your textbook said something as a kid, didn't you just believe it? Usually, yeah. Like to a greater extent than if something was said in a college, like if something was said in a college class, you would probably at least think like, oh, do I believe that? Like kids don't have that capacity. And that's why that's why I get uh, a lot more up in arms about a Becca children's textbooks than I do about Pensacola Christian College. 
Yeah, especially because when you're an adult and you're in a college class, you realize, like, you look at a lot of your professors and some of them, like, I mean, some of them are like, they have doctorates or whatever. And you're like, oh man, this guy is, or this uh, woman is an expert. Um, and then sometimes you get in there and there's like adjunct faculty who's new-ish. And you're like, oh, this person is only like six years older than I am. Um, right. And they have some opinions. <laughs> You know, they make some grand sweeping declaration about something and you're like, I don't know if I buy that fully. Yeah. And that, I, I think that's exactly why like, I, I worry a lot more about the textbooks for children. Right. Because like, what were you saying when it was when your parents were like shocked? Like my dad was the principal of my Christian school. But how could you expect my dad as a full time pastor who was already incredibly overworked, what do you expect him to do? Read through every textbook that the Christian school is using? No, he read through some of them and he trusted the manufacturer. And it's like, what do you, you've got to pick a textbook manufacturer for your children and for your Christian school. And if you trust the manufacturer, you're not going to go through and read every textbook and you're going to miss where it says these terrible things. And then that just gets put in front of your kids and you tell your kids, believe what the textbook says. And the textbook has the word Christian on it. And the kid knows that if it's Christian, it's supposed to be good. And you end up accidentally indoctrinating your children in a really intense manner. You know what I think is so wild is that when you were a kid and I'm, you know, this is true now. I hear this all the time is that people are very up in arms about what are they teaching to our children? And saying, I don't want my children to be indoctrinated into this. I don't want my children to be indoctrinated into the other thing. But then they're also like, I want my children to be indoctrinated into this. I want my children to be indoctrinated into the other thing. I think what I've realized, like, since even in my, you know, not quite one year of being a parent so far, I think what what has really become clear to me is that everybody indoctrinates their children. Um, you, in everybody does, and even in completely harmless things, like you indoctrinate your child to wear clothing and shoes when they leave the house, you indoctrinate your child to not pick their nose in public, you indoctrinate your child, um, to, with whatever table manners it is that you choose to teach them, you indoctrinate your child when you feed them and the way that you talk about food and the way that you talk about your own body when you talk to your children, the way you talk about their body, um, you indoctrinate consent ethics into them, um, hopefully. you And you indoctrinate your children when you speak to them, no matter what. Because I think a lot of people will say things to babies like, oh, you're so beautiful. You're going to be a little heartbreaker and get all the boys one day. Like People say stuff like that to little baby girls. Or people put little baby boys in shirts that say stud muffin or ladies man. You're like, whatever, do what you want with your own kids. It's not for me. But when I speak to chuck i find myself saying who is waking up and we got to wrap this up i find myself saying things like baby chuck if you choose to get married one day then your partner is going to be a very lucky person but that's indoctrinating her i'm indoctrinating her that marriage is a choice that she can make if she wants to and i'm indoctrinating her that we're not expecting her to marry a person of a particular gender but whoever she loves is going to be okay but that's indoctrination that's positive indoctrination in my opinion but I think everybody indoctrinates their children. You know what I'm saying? When the little Johnny is learning his sense of self, that's the type of thing that they'd be making fun of you for. And they're just yeah. like, how dare you indoctrinate them into that? Indoctrinate them into this instead. But indoctrinate them into uh, that book talk, like what the, the book said a few minutes ago about um, perverted sexual behavior. 
Yeah. Like you're going to indoctrinate your kid one way or another. Just be honest with yourself and choose how you're going to do it and maybe consider teaching your kid to love and <laughs> not be terrible. Do you ever see those uh, those Facebook updates where it's like, my three-year-old just said like X very smart thing and you're just like, yes, yeah, your kid didn't say that. Like, it's like that where uh, anyway. Anyway, we, we got to wrap, wrap this up, up yeah. because speaking of my kid, she's waking up from her nap. Yeah. All right. If you like this show, if you are a fan of the Leaving Eden podcast, um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram uh, at Leaving Eden podcast on Twitter at Leaving Eden pod. Uh, Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell yes Sadie or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And until next time, next time we're talking about fundamental seduction, this the most banned book of all of the, the fundamental books. of all the banned books. This is going to be so amazing. Yeah, very excited for it. Uh, and until next time, hope you guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.